Blog Talk Radio. This is the Mike Savella Radio Program for Thursday, October 31st, 2013. Yes, it's Halloween, everybody. On tonight's show, I'll be describing a meeting I'll be at next week at this time in Austin, Texas. This is from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The meeting will be the annual meeting of the of Aligning Forces for Quality. What's that? I'll, I'll explain. Also on our flashback segment, looking forward to this, uh, be sharing an interview from five years ago from our uh, longtime friend of the show, uh, show number 55 from November 6th, 2008. Who is that? I'll share that in a little bit. All that uh, coming up and a lot more on episode 317 of the Mike Savella Radio Program, starting right now. show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Mike Savella radio program. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Savella, the one-man social media machine for seven years running. I encourage you to check out the site at drmikesavella.com. And what is this show about? This is commentary about medicine, social media, and life and other things. Today is Thursday, August, August. Today is Thursday, October 31st, 2013. It is 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's right, this weekend coming up, we're going to be switching the clocks, time travel, falling back to standard time. (laughs) And uh, here at uh, Finley Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, it is uh, 58 degrees Fahrenheit. And over the last few hours, the uh, trick-or-treaters were around town here, had to... uh, work through some wind and rain for uh, for this Halloween night. So, but that's all over for now, at least in this time, in this town, in this time zone. <laughs> Probably people out west are getting ready for their trick-or-treat night on Halloween. And how has your week been going there, kids? I, I was uh, driving around town today and, uh, uh, you know, just thinking about some uh, some Halloween memories about some of the silly costumes that <laughs> that I say that my parents made me wear, but no, I probably picked them all out. <laughs> probably superheroes and cartoon characters and this and that and whatever and all good times uh, back then. So I uh, hope your 
Halloween evening is uh, going well. On uh, tonight's show, going to be uh, talking about a meeting I'm going to be uh, going to uh, next week. I've never been in Austin, Texas before, uh, but I will be there for uh, for a few days. It is the Aligning Forces for Quality National Meeting. Aligning Forces for Quality. Uh, and uh, it's a group I've never heard of before. You can uh, check them out at forces, the number four, quality.org. And uh, it is November 6th through 8th. Uh, 2013 in Austin, Texas. And uh, I do have a little bit of an audio clip I'll be uh, playing in a couple minutes, uh, kind of describing the meeting. But in doing some research um, about this, they are associated, affiliated, sponsored by um, the uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And, and, and those of you who are not in medicine who listen to this program, thank you so much for listening to the program. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation focuses on pressing health and health care issues facing our country. You can check them out by going to rwjf.org. Uh, they are the nation's largest philanthropy devoted exclusively to health and health care. The foundation works with a diverse group of organizations and individuals to identify solutions and achieve comprehensive, measurable, and timely change. For more than 40 years, the foundation has brought experience, commitment, and a rigorous, balanced approach to the problems that affect health and health care of those it serves. When it comes to helping Americans lead healthier lives and to get the care they need, the foundation expects to make a difference in your lifetime. And you know, they, they are a, a huge name, especially in medical education uh, circles, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So this group that they have is called Aligning Forces for Quality, and their website says that it is the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's signature effort to lift overall quality of health care in targeted communities, reducing racial and ethnic disparities, and providing models of care for national Reform. They ask the people who get care, give care, and pay for care to work toward common fundamental objectives to lead to better care. The 16 geographically, demographically, and economically diverse communities participating in this cover 12.5% of the U.S. population. After six years, AF4Q communities have built transformative partnerships often where none have existed before data on quality, costs, and patient experience, measures are being collected and publicly reported. Practice coaches are deployed in hundreds of primary care practices. Hospitals are improving care for emergency department and bedside patients are playing a crucial part in transforming healthcare. New models for care delivery and organization are being tested and implemented and innovative payment reform is becoming a reality. So that's some of the stuff uh, for this. And um, I kind of jumped ahead here a little bit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let me, uh, let me play this. Uh, let, me, let me find this clip here. I, I, they, I, they, they had a little bit of a webinar that they have on the site, forces the number four quality.org for their November 13 uh, meeting. And uh, this clip here, this is about uh, four minutes and uh, 50 seconds uh, here. And uh, it's uh, 
um, it, it is them uh, talking about this the uh, the aligning forces for quality uh, organization. So um, AFRQ is a grand experiment, and it really is about um, bringing together people that give care, get care, and pay for care, and improving the quality of care in across 16 communities in America. It is a, a groundbreaking project that was started. Uh, you know, almost eight years ago now, and it's been uh, not only a learning laboratory, but it's actually given the field proof that um, there are, you know, communities that large and small that have providers, payers, employers, consumers around the table proving that they can do this, really doing the hard work of improving quality and uh, improving value. In the last six years, I just want to give you a couple of the highlights. Um, of our work that there's been data on quality, cost, and patient experience measures that are being collected and publicly reported across those 16 communities. And that really means that there's 38 million people having access to comparative performance information about over 600 hospitals and over 31,000 primary care physicians. This is truly groundbreaking work, and it really has been um, a tipping point in terms of the transparency of healthcare quality and cost information and patient experience information that's publicly available. Um, in terms of what's been going on in terms of uh, quality improvement, we wanted to highlight just a couple of things, um, one of which is that practice coaches are being deployed in hundreds of primary care practices. Hospitals are improving care um, both at the emergency department level and actually to the bedside of patients. Um, it is really represents a breadth of work in terms of the on-the-ground quality improvement that's going on. Uh, also, in terms of that system transformation, patients are playing uh, new and crucial roles in changing the fabric of the American healthcare system. And that's been one of the contributions that I think has been most important for aligning forces for quality. It really has required consumers and patients be at the table in terms of those key decision-making points and processes and really asserting um, the power and the, their influence in terms of how projects are shaped, their scope, um, their pace, and that really has led to deeper and broader system transformation, and that's what we at the core of it, AFRQ, is all about. Um, underpinning all of the work from transparency to quality improvement to consumer engagement is the idea of new care models for delivery and organizations that are being tested and implemented and really having the kind of undergirding or the foundational efforts around payment reform that's necessary to drive all those change activities and levers. Um, we're thrilled that your work is paying off. It makes us proud to work at the National Program Office and um, really look forward to continuing to support your, your, your work in the coming years. So let me take a, just a quick moment and say why influence. Um, I think it's probably uh, very apparent to you on a day-by-day, day, if not an hour-by-hour hour basis, that um, having those key partnerships and unique collaborations that come together are really the bedrock of your success. Um, being able to bring the many and varied viewpoints to the table requires that high degree of influence and, frankly, persuasion. Um, keeping them there, keeping your partners there and actively engaged in the discussion is the ongoing challenges. 
Alliances work in an environment that um, it takes building those strong relationships, engendering trust, increasing the communication among stakeholders, and ultimately leading to those large-scale change efforts that we're all after. Um, this national meeting is one of those great opportunities where you can connect with other people across 16 um, communities that are um, also doing the hard work that you face, um, have faced your same challenges and probably different ones, and you can learn from one another. Um, we also have a strong influence in um, the next national meeting in Austin about developing new skills and expanding your perspectives. We are delighted that you'll be joining us and um, really look forward to meeting you in person um, once we hit Texas. Uh, so after the break here, I'm going to be talking about why I'm going to this meeting because I'm going to be part of a uh, panel talking about influence influence in uh, social media. So very excited about that. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for uh, still having me be a featured host on this network. I don't know why, but I uh, very much appreciate that. I want to thank everybody who uh, listened live and or uh, downloaded the show uh, last week. Uh, about 500 of you uh, did that, and uh, that just came out four days ago. So thank you so much all for that. Uh, and if uh, you're wondering, yes, I'm a real doctor. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and I'm in private practice here in the beautiful but rainy and windy northeastern Ohio. So I will take my break, and then uh, I will continue this discussion here about this meeting I'm going to next week. I'm going to be talking about uh, the panel that I'm on uh, about influence and influence and social media. Uh, you're listening to the Mike Savilla Radio Program, a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can uh, check out the uh, ProMed Network at promednetwork.com. And we'll be right back. That's right, back better than ever, back better than ever. This is the Mike Sibilla Radio Program. You can go to drmikesibilla.com. Uh, so I'm talking about this uh, a meeting I'm going to this week, uh, Aligning Forces for Quality, November 6th through 8th uh, in Austin, Texas. You can go to Forces, the number 4, Quality, Forces, the number 4, Quality.org. Scroll down to the bottom, and you can see the November 2013 meeting. Uh, so the theme is influence, which I think is very cool. And uh, they asked me to be on a panel, uh, and it's uh, breakout session number one. There you go, see? That's what I'm talking about. And uh, so the breakout session is called Influence Through Social Media, Trust, comma, Share, comma, Engage. And I'll read this uh, description here. Social media is an undeniable force in healthcare decision-making advocacy communications 
Increasingly, it is the way of turbo-boosting your influence in the field and in the conversation-making connections you otherwise could not have made and building a following for your efforts. It is a natural source of collective influence and collaboration. And they say bullet point one, a, the place to connect. 65% of online adults use social networking sites. Bullet point number two, deeper engagement. Nearly 90% of those ages 18 through 24 would engage in health activities or trust information found via social media. Uh, Bullet point three, opportunity to personalize encounters and gather data. Uh, One out of three consumers say they would be comfortable having their social media monitored if the data could help them identify ways to improve their care or better coordinate their care. In bullet point number four, new expectations. More than 75% of consumers expect healthcare entities to respond within a day or less to social media appointment requests and nearly half Expect a response within a few hours. How can you tap into this vein of influence, and how can you quantify its impact? (laughs) And uh, I'm on with uh, three other panelists, Ed Bennett, Director, Web and Communications Technology, University of Maryland Medical System, Susanna Shepard, Public Affairs Specialist, Center of Social Media at Mayo Clinic, and Alicia Staley, Consumer Representative Greater Boston Aligning and uh, I believe creator of the uh, uh, Breast Cancer Social Media Chat Monday nights 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So we're going to be on this panel together and uh, it's going to be on Thursday, um, a week from uh, today. And you know, to be honest, I haven't really figured out what I'm going to be talking about yet. Because <laughs> serious. Uh, I've been doing, you know, these type of panels and talks for a few years now, and there are a million uh, directions that you can go talking about social media when it comes to uh, uh, leadership and influence. And I, I don't know how what I'm going to talk about. I think they want me to talk about, you know, how to be uh, obviously influential, how to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, gain influence, how to gather a following, how to have a following. They probably saw the number of Twitter followers that I have and say, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, what I always tell people you know, and, uh, when I'm talking about social media and, and, uh, and medicine and uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, get some, uh, gain influence, get people following you, get people listening to what you're talking about. You just have to believe down deep inside you that you can do it because uh, it, it, is, it is very uh, intimidating out there in this big ocean of social media to try to get any kind of attention um, out there. And some people take you know, pretty um, silly steps to try to, to gain attention. It's just like little kids or immature adults trying to get attention. That's not really how you do that. That's not really how you get, you know, more Twitter followers and you have to, to gain influence, but by making a, a logical yet emotional argument for what you're passionate about. You know, for me, 
you know, for, for my specialty and, and what I'm doing, you know, I really believe in my heart that every uh, American deserves a family physician. And, uh, and I talk about that at drmikesavilla.com. I talk about that, you know, when we, when we talk about this uh, family medicine revolution hashtag, FM revolution hashtag that we have um, out there on Twitter trying to find other family docs um, out there uh, to help tell the story of, of family medicine. I've been seeing in some uh, recent meetings, you know, that they're, they're really, you know, telling people to tell their own story because no one else will tell it for them. You know, when I talk to uh, at meetings, I always, you know, tell people that, you know, we as a family medicine community have let other people tell the family medicine story, and it's the wrong story. And, uh, you know, whether you're a patient advocate, whether you're a provider, whether you're a physician, whether you're a community leader, you have to, you know, find your, uh, uh, find your voice, find your social media voice, however that is. For some people, it's writing blog posts. For some people, it's writing short Twitter updates or social media or uh, Facebook updates. Some people take pictures and use uh, platforms like Instagram to tell their story. You have to find a way to tell your story, something that is comfortable for you, something that you can balance your time doing uh, with all the other things that are going on uh, in your life. You know, you have to, you know, communicate and refine that story. Um, you know, people always talk about the elevator speech. Can you, can you drill down? Can you summarize what your message is, who you are, you know, in two to three minutes uh, it, using language that is uh, understandable to everybody, not a lot of uh, technical jargon. Uh, and a lot of this it just comes down to normal, you know, communication, you know, non-digital communication. How do you communicate your message out there, whatever that you want to say, whether you're a, a, a provider, a physician, a consumer, a legislator, um, a parent, a grandparent, uh, anything. And so over the next week, I'm going to be, you know, trying to figure out uh, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, um, you know, how I'm going to <laughs> try to stand out a little bit from these other panelists, you know, because this is a super panel that I've seen in the past. I've read about um, and, uh, you know, just to try to, you know, just distinguish my message different different from them. You know, you have to find other stakeholders, you know, people who believe the same things that you do. You know, if you're a consumer you, or you're a patient, you find other people, you know, who feel the same that you do that can, that can help amp amplify your message uh, as a consumer, as an e-patient, as an advocate. Uh, that is not easy to do. You know, and really, really, when, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to this meeting, I believe it's going to come down to, you know, how can you influence the people in power? How can you influence the policymakers? How can you influence the powers that be uh, to change health policy, to change laws uh, where you see that there is an injustice? Um, I saw, you know, on on the uh, uh, on the um, schedule, you know, that there are going to be some at least. State level legislators at this meeting giving panels, 
and doing workshops as well. You know, I plan to be going to check out some of their, uh, you know, tips and tricks on how to, you know, more effectively communicate with legislators. Um, you know, that, that's going to be uh, an interesting, you know, type of thing, you know. And if you don't have a uh, an online community, you know, you can you know, definitely create one yourself, you know. There's a lot of, you know, e-page communities. There's a lot of uh, provider communities out there that were, you know, created by somebody who is a very driven, uh, very motivated. They found other people who feel the same uh, to tell the same story. Um, another thing I tell people is, you know, you have to, you really do have to find other people to, you know, who, who, uh, who have the same point of view. Uh, you have to cultivate that base of supporters before you can kind of reach out to other other groups uh, to try to gain influence there. Um, I really think that uh, you know that the mobile device uh, is something that's going to be very important in trying to gain influence, spread influence. You know, using you know that smartphone, using that laptop computer to tell the story, to, co- to contact people, to follow up with those people in power, with those legislators, with those um, powers that be. Uh, and you know, you know, I've seen some already. There's a, you know, a, a number of apps that are out there, too, that can help you with this. There's an app for this meeting. Um, and for social media, I mean, they are using a hashtag as well. For the meeting, I, I hope to be helping uh, with that. It's hashtag AF4Q, and uh, they have an app. They they have a Twitter account. Its uh, Twitter account is at Aligning Forces, and I'll be very curious to uh, to talk to uh, some of the staff um, about you know what their uh, social media experience has been um, at an organizational level. That's going to be fun for me to kind of. Uh, uh, talk with them and explore with them a little bit uh, to see how I can help them uh, with some of that stuff. Uh, so, so this going to be two panels during the meeting. You know, uh, breakout sessions, uh, influence through social media, trust, share, and engage. And uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, finalizing this uh, over the next week or so. What specifically I'm going to be saying and. You know, this, what I really enjoy is the question and answer sessions that uh, are going to be uh, taking place uh, during the uh, during the session as well. That's going to be fun for me to to try to do, and, and I think I'm going to be moderating this panel. <laughs> Still haven't not really uh, clear if that's really going to happen. I don't know, but uh, that's that's my understanding, and that and that's going to be my preparation uh, for that. And uh, I'm also thinking about, you know, sharing some practical tips. Um, you know, you know, when you think about social media, when you think about Twitter, when you think about, you know, uh, Facebook, you know, and what people use social media for, people use social media for self-promotion, of course. But some people use social media for affirmation. You know, I, when, I, when I look through that, that uh, family medicine revolution hashtag, you know, I, I see a lot of, Family docs out there are saying, hey, you know, I love my job. I love seeing kids. You know, I, I love a full-scope family medicine. I love delivering babies. I love uh, going to the nursing home, taking care of our geriatric patients. I love uh, when there are uh, 
you know, two or three or four generations um, of people in the exam room uh, because it's a whole family visit. That's all. It's always fun to try to navigate through that. So, so sometimes I go to that FM Revolution, you know, hashtag to just you know, uh, gain some strength and to remind myself why I picked a specialty. Um, and uh, that's always fun when when people say why they love doing what they do. That's that's always fun. Um, you know, some people use t- Twitter and uh, Facebook to share articles. Uh, sometimes within your industry, sometimes it's sometimes it's just you know other types of good information. For me, you know, sometimes I like to uh, share uh, you know uh, technology articles. Um, I have a lot of Apple and Macintosh stuff, so I uh, I uh, read those articles as well. Uh, I see more and more people using you know Twitter in the meeting setting uh, at conferences. You know, using uh, Twitter to uh, as a note taking uh, during sessions, uh, and that's always fun to try to follow the meeting through Twitter. Uh, and I really think that social media, you know, it really is the, the modern, you know, business card. Um, because you know, when people look at your Twitter and, and Facebook feed, they kind of get a feel of who you are what your interests are, what's important to you. And that's, you can do that you know, a, a lot better using social media than just with a silly little business card. Now, I, I'm still going to be bringing business cards with me. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> so, so I have all these ideas that I'm, gonna, I'm trying to be distilling down to the essence of what I'm going to be sharing uh, during this, uh, during this uh, panel session. So, but I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it. I want to thank the people um, at the Aligning Forces for Quality, the staff there, for inviting me to uh, to be on a panel at this meeting. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So, uh, I, you know, I encourage you to to follow what I'm doing on Twitter because I'm going to be uh, tweeting out a lot of stuff and uh, on Facebook, and I'm going to be writing some blog posts as well. You can get all the stuff at uh, drmexavilla.com. Uh, so uh, what I'll do is I will, uh, I will take a break here, and um, after the break, uh, I'm going to be sharing our flashback segment. If you haven't uh, listened to the show for a while, you know, uh, these last few shows, I've been sharing a, uh, a little bit of a snippet of an, uh, an older show, a show from the, from the first couple years. Uh, it's been nice to kind of reminisce about that. So I'll talk more about it uh, after the break. You're listening to the Mike Savilla radio program uh, here on the uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. It is Halloween night here, and uh, this uh, show is already flying by. <laughs> so uh, we will uh, talk more after the break, and uh, let me find some uh, bumper music here, and if I can find it all. <laughs> uh, oh, here it is. Okay, and uh, we'll be right back.
You're listening to the Mike Savella Radio Program here on Halloween night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And uh, so this last segment here, this is a long, longer segment. Uh, this is the uh, flashback segment uh, where I, uh, uh, I take a little piece of a show or a bigger piece of a show from the past and uh, bring it back and to uh, listen have it, have it share with all of you. I've been doing this show probably for about seven years uh, now, and six or seven years, something like that. And uh, it's been fun. It's been fun meeting a lot of people along the way and, uh, um, you know, keeping touch with some people and losing touch with other people. And that's okay. That, that's how life works. Uh, but uh, in, t- in tonight's flashback segment, this is going to be all the way from uh, November 6th, 2008. Uh, and this is show number 55, and uh, this is an unusual show because I was uh, on location at the time. I was at a meeting, and I had this crazy idea about doing a show while I was at a meeting. Uh, so I was uh, in the great city of Dallas, Texas, back on November 6, uh, 2008, and in the evening there, um, I, I did a show from the, uh, from the uh, hotel room where I called into Skype and uh, uh, it was uh, I've never done that before, so it was very exciting to do that. And uh, I was able to get a, a, a friend of the show uh, who stuck with the show for for a long time. And uh, her name is Cat, and and uh, she uh, is Warrior Cat on uh, on Twitter. And, uh, and in this clip, and this is about a half an hour clip, it's a long clip. Uh, I um, and she shares her cancer story. Uh, and that's how I uh, met her, and uh, she wanted to uh, – well, I, I'm not sure if she wanted to tell the story or I, uh, I, I badgered her to, to come on the show to tell her story. <laughs> um, and uh, there were some technical difficulties during the show, and so I cut all that stuff out. And uh, uh, I, uh, I just had the good stuff, and the good stuff was – you know, it was 30 minutes. So, <laughs> um, and, and as you know now, for people who have been uh, following the show for a while, that uh, Kat and I sometimes uh, do a Saturday night uh, show uh, when I'm not working and she's not working and uh, we have not done a show, I think, since January <laughs> because I've been working and she's been working, but uh, hopefully it will be able to uh, – to do a show, we call it a, the Saturday Night Show, the, the Night Shift Show, and uh, where we just uh, it's, it's less serious than these uh, Thursday uh, Thursday shows where we just talk about pop culture. Sometimes we talk about sports. Sometimes we talk about nothing. It's just a, a good uh, a good time to uh, uh, to just relax on a on Saturday night, and hopefully we'll be able to do a, uh, a Saturday show coming up on one of these days. But I do want to share this clip here with you. This is. Uh, this is from uh, November 6th, uh, 2008. This is show number 55. It is the old Dr. Anonymous show, Dr. Anonymous show 55. And today is uh, episode 317, so you can see how many, how many shows that we've been doing already. So, um, um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I may have a little bit of commentary after this long uh, segment here, but... Uh, uh, but if you can't stick around, thanks a lot for for joining me here tonight. Check out drmikesavilla.com. Uh, and uh, here is the segment of show number 55 from November 6, 2008, from our friend Kat. And uh, here we go. Blog Talk Radio. 
Dr. Anonymous Show 55. Yeah! Welcome to the Dr. Anonymous Show, where we go beyond the blog to bring you the best stories in medicine and new media. And I'm, of course, your host, Dr. A, and you can always find me at dranonymous.com. And uh, today is Wednesday, yes, that's right, Wednesday, November 5th, 2008. It is 8 p.m. Central Time, which means it is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I am live here in downtown Dallas, Texas this evening, and uh, it is still 77 degrees Fahrenheit and 25 degrees Celsius, and we are glad that you are joining the show this evening. Our guest, uh, who will be coming up in a few minutes, is uh, Kat, and uh, she is the hostess with the mostest. She hosts the uh, Landview Lowdown here on the network, and uh, she's also uh, on the Annie and Burrow Live show. And she is a uh, nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, but the reason that uh, she's coming in this evening is to talk about her life uh, with cancer, specifically um, Hodgkin's disease. And uh, uh, she and I have talked about that a little bit in the past, and I think it would be great for her to kind of share her story here on the show. Okay, let's start over. I, I, well, I know that you played Cat Scratch Fever, and I love that song. And that's, that's right. funny that you played that. Because what, what? when I, you know, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go, go ahead. Go, this is your show. Go ahead. Okay, this is my show. Okay, well, when I, I'm kind of jumping ahead on the uh, diagnosis thing, but when, well, I'll get to what actually I had a diagnosis. Well, I had the lump in my neck. I'll get to that. But the doctor thought I had maybe cat scratch fever. Cat scratch fever. <laughs> cat scratch fever. That's what they thought it could be. But no, really? it was the big C, the big fat C. And you know what, people? It's not a death sentence. And that's what I'm here to tell you. All right, let's uh, let's let, 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 let's uh, let's start from the beginning here. Let's let, let's let's do this the right way here. So so how so how old were you when you, when this? No, really. Now, wait, wait, how old were you when it when uh, when you, I mean, did you have symptoms? Did you feel sick? What, how, how did this kind of story start here for you? Well, you know, um, actually, I was 22 years old, and I was in my first semester in nursing school. And it was weird because, well, at the time, I was a major, major health nut. I worked out every day. I worked out with a trainer. I was like Miss Fitness. I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't even take an aspirin unless I was dying, which I hardly ever did because I was so healthy. And, you know, I was in nursing school and everything, and one day I was sitting in class, and I was, on, you know how you're, you're at the desk, and, you know, you put your elbow on the desk, and you just sort of lean over, and I kind of put my hand on my neck to relax, and I felt this lump. And I was like, oh, what's that, you know? So we got a break during class, and I went to the to the bathroom to look at it, see <laughs> what the hell that was. And it wasn't like a little lymph node; it was like a a lump, you know. And it wasn't it was you know it wasn't perfectly like a cyst; it was you know that kind of 
you know how a tumor is. It's not perfectly round like a cyst. It's right. messed up shape. And I'm looking at it, and I keep looking at it in the mirror, and I'm like, what the hell? But I just, I'm thinking in my head, okay, I just have a little infection, whatever. I'm going to just go to the doctor, no big deal. And being a nursing student, you know, huh? Yeah, keep going. Well, being a nursing student, okay. <laughs> I hate to feel like I'm interrupting, but uh, being a nursing student, of course, I open up all my nursing books and I look at every possible diagnosis that it could be. And I actually did see Hodgkin's disease. And I said, well, you know what? It sounds like Hodgkin's disease, but that can't be it. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way I could have cancer. So I'm thinking... You know, I have an aunt who also had a lump on her neck once that was just some kind of calcified gross thing that she got removed, and I thought, oh, well, that's what it's going to be, you know. So I go to the doctor, you know, within a couple of weeks, well, or right away, just to get on antibiotics, and he puts me on antibiotics and says, come back in two weeks. Well, the lump didn't go away. I go back in two weeks. He checks it, and he says, you know what, it even feels bigger. And when he said that, I realized, of course, I kept touching it all the time. And so it it really literally felt like every day it was growing. And um, so when I went back to, I thought he was going to put me on another dose of antibiotics or another round. He says, no, you know what? Well, he did put me on another dose, but he says, I'm going to send you to an EMT to, you know, have it checked. And so I'm still thinking it's some calcified, disgusting, gross thing in my neck that they're going to remove. And so I go to, you know, the doctor, and she looks at it, and the first thing she says, oh, yeah, well, we're going to have to take it out. And, you know, I was thinking about it today when I was going back to this whole story. Uh, I realized that it was literally 1993, almost a couple of weeks to the day where I was diagnosed. It was like a week before Thanksgiving that I was diagnosed. And oh. what she said, yeah, it was I, I, it was weird. I was like, oh, wow, you know. I didn't realize this was the month I was diagnosed, but it was. And uh, she's like, well, what? I said, well, what are we going to do? She goes, oh, well, we're going to have to take it out. And, and I said, oh, okay. And she goes, in biopsy. And I said, well, what do you mean, like cancer? Like, I thought she just meant to take it out. She goes, yeah. And I said, oh, okay. But still in my head, I'm denying it. I'm thinking, okay, it's not going to be cancer. But I always had that Hodgkin's in my I should be a diagnostician because I tell you, I can diagnose anything, okay? Oh, yeah. And I'm very good at that. But I don't have the, the, uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the, um, the, I can't think of the word, to go back to school, the uh, ambition, not the ambition, but the to go through medical school. I don't have that kind of... <laughs> Kind of a drive or that kind of uh drive, yeah. That's a good word. I don't know. I don't I'm probably yeah. totally insulting you or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um my mom oh that's right. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the chat room. My mom did beat up a priest. <laughs> I'll get to that though in a minute. Um <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, so I go to the hospital and they do the biopsy, right? And and they put me under general, which I thought was strange too. I'm thinking, why are you putting me under general anesthesia? Because I thought, like I said, it was just a disgusting growth thing. And she goes, well, it's near all, you know, it's near the uh, the major vessels, you know. The I'm nervous, so I can't think of my basic stuff. I've been a nurse for a long time, Doctor A. <laughs> the yeah. jugular, 
those things. <laughs> I'm not going to look at the chat room anymore. <laughs> and so, uh, so they put me under general, right? And I yeah. come out of it. And the first I've heard of it was from the the op, the, the nurse, the, uh, the nurse afterwards that helps you when you come out of it. In after recovery. surgery. Yeah. Recovery. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I've never talked about this in public like this, so I didn't realize how nervous I was going to be. But, uh, and it was weird because I still wasn't completely out of the anesthesia. All the, the only thing I can remember is my dad over me looking at me saying, it's going to be all right, pumpkin, and kissing me on the forehead. That's all I remember. And looking at the clock, and it was like around 2.10. And the nurse telling me, well, a little bit later, I woke up a little bit more, and the nurse said, well, did you hear what Dr. Uh, what was her name? My dad used to, to make fun of her name because it was, uh, I wish I could remember her name. Uh, anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, let's pretend it was Blogstein. So she said, so Dr. Blogstein said, but it was a female Dr. Blogstein, <clears throat> Said, did you, oh, no, 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 a female nurse said, did you hear what Dr. Blogstein said? And I said, no. She says, well, they found a few suspicious cells in there, but, you know, you don't know anything 100%. And I just remember saying, you mean cancer? And she says, well, you know, they were suspicious. And I just remember going, I remember my stomach just turning and going right back to sleep because I couldn't think about it. I, I, it was too much for my brain to comprehend, so I just went right back out, you know. And... You know, when I woke up, I found out that it was the doctor that had told me this, but I don't, I just didn't remember it. I must have been awake. I just didn't remember it. And then it was my father that told me it's going to be all right, pumpkin. That's what. I, that's the only thing I remembered. Wait a minute. So, wait a minute. Uh, so, so they told you you had cancer when you were coming out of anesthesia. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I have a major problem with that. I mean, that's just that is not. I mean, that's. That's just that's wrong. I mean, that's just that's not something you tell somebody when they're just like coming out of surgery. That is just that's. Uh, I'm upset for you. I, that happened. Well, like I said, all I can remember was my. I felt like my stomach was going to come out of my mouth, and I just. I said I can't deal with this now, and I closed my eyes. And the next time I woke up, I was in my room, <clears throat> in the hospital room. And uh, my mom, of course, by that time was a wreck. Uh, the doctor, what was her name? It was, I wish, I, I'm going to remember it as I'm going along with the story. Uh, but uh, she had told my parents, and I wasn't there when she told my parents in a separate room. And my father said, and, I, you know, I love my father. He is so funny. And even when, you know, he, when he says things, he's just so funny, okay? He goes, Honkin, when she told me. He said, he grabbed the trash can, he bent over, he goes, I didn't know whether to pass out or vomit. And I know that sounds probably sad to other people, but coming out of my dad's mouth, it's funny. If my sister could tell you, my sister knows how my dad is and he's a trip. My mom lost her mind. She started beating the walls, you know, going crazy. And this is a Catholic hospital. I, went to, I grew up in Catholic schools, went to, you know, all my, even the nursing school I went to was Catholic, you know, it's part of Loyola University. So I was in a Catholic hospital, and the priest came to talk to my mom and told her, you know, God 
gives us our children. And he, he was trying to console her, saying that, you know, if, if he wants to take her, it's going to be his decision. And she's trying to be, oh, no, no, wait, wait. He, and he says, I understand you're angry. Hit me. Do whatever. Do whatever. And she started beating the crap. Wow. <laughs> See, I can laugh about this now, you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure, but, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so, your So your biopsy came back, and it was Hodgkin's, and, and uh, um, I mean, did, did you... Did you react to it at the time? Did, did you really understand anything about it? I mean, through your nursing training or, I mean, you know, right, right when you found out, I mean, how much did you know about it? Well, I was in my first semester where you're learning about bed baths and, and that simple basic stuff. So I knew nothing. And at the time when they told me, you know, at first it was the frozen, you know, the frozen section where they tell you, well, it's 95% effective, but you won't know 100% until like three days from now or whatever it was. And right. so I said, well, you know, 95% okay. <laughs> well, I think the mind is a beautiful thing because it literally, I didn't feel anything really. For, for the first few days, I felt nothing. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel happy. I, I think I was just in pure shock. And that's why I say the mind's a beautiful thing. But, you know, I met with my oncologist that night. He came in, Dr. Militello, and he was the one who he introduced himself. And I'll get into Dr. Militello, my hero, in a minute. Um, he said, you know, he was the one who told me, you'll know in a few days for sure, and then we'll go on to the, you know, test where we stage it, what stage you're in. And so um, I just was kind of, like I said, numb. And then when he called me a few days later and said, okay, it's 100% sure you have Hodgkin's disease, uh, I still kind of was in shock. I mean, it, it hit me a little more, but I was in shock. When it hit me, Dr. A, was when I had that bone marrow biopsy. And let me tell you, I've never had a baby. I've heard that that's supposed to be the most painful thing in the world, but I can't imagine anything more painful than a bone marrow biopsy. Yeah, for I people who don't know, I mean, yeah, I mean, did, 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 Describe, I mean, obviously it felt, you know, it's, it's the worst pain people felt, people have told me, but, to, you know, tell people what that is. What, you know, where do they stick that needle at? They stick that gigantic sword of a needle <laughs> in each hip, okay? And they don't just stick it in your hip. They stick it down into your bone. And what it is, well, you know, what? it was weird. Okay, when I went in, I didn't know what to expect. Okay, they gave me a shot of Demerol and a shot of Ativan. And I started to mellow out, okay. But by the end of that thing, it wouldn't have matter, you know, they should have knocked me out. God forbid if I ever have to have another one again, I want to be put out. I don't know if you can be completely put out for that because you have to be so still. But what they did was at first, they what they do is they put... Um, shot after shot after shot of lidocaine all the way till it hits your bone on each side. And that was painful in itself. Then they stick the big needle that's about, I don't know, what would you say the size of that, that thing is, Dr. A? I mean... Uh, 
it's a it's, it's a big wooden pipe. Yeah. Steel pipe. But it's pipe. metal <laughs> and it's sharp. And they, when they were sticking it in, what was so weird was as they were getting into my bones, I felt like it was weird because I felt all the bones in my body shake. But that necessar- it wasn't necessarily that painful. And the doctor even asked me, he goes, do you drink a lot of milk or do you work out? I said, I work out a lot. He goes, your bones are hard as steel. Apparently when you work out, it makes your bones real hard. So Wait a minute. they had a hard time getting... This doctor is like hitting on you when when they're doing this bone marrow biopsy. That's that's wrong. That's, no. that's something I would. <laughs> oh no, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so so they do that thing. It hurts. It just it just really and it's true. It's people have told me that it's that's like you know and and they did both sides. They did both hips. That's like that's that's the worst. Well, after the first side, I begged him. I said, please, do we have to do the other side? And, he, you know, I, well, actually, the, the shaking of the bones that I felt, because he had numbed me up, was not that necessarily that bad. It just felt weird. What was bad was when they stuck the marrow out, because it feels like every little insides of your body are being sucked out from the tips of your fingers, from the tips of your toes, the tips of your head, all the way out into your hip. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's like uh, that's like being on this show, I think, isn't it? <laughs> it was there. like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was terrible. But, you know, and they had me, I don't know why, they had me in a room at the same place where they draw labs for people, you know, where they draw blood work. And my entire family was in the waiting room, and there was a little these little old ladies in there. And a parent, I remember screaming. I never screamed like this in my life. There was a point where I screamed where you hear like on Halloween where people are getting, because I was, I went and just started going into shock. I didn't realize what was happening. I thought he was killing me. And the woman goes, she didn't realize what, what I was going through, okay? She goes, wow, somebody doesn't like to get their blood taken. And my dad had to hold my mom back because she's about to kick, kick her ass. Wow, man! My mom is feistier than I am. I'm feisty. Man, my mom is spitfire. I'm uh, okay. I'm taking notes right now. Do not get your mom upset at me. Okay, that's I'm making that note right now. Okay. I don't think she'd ever get upset at you. You are you are uh, you're really you're really cool. You're a nice guy. But uh, no. so all right. So let's fast forward here a little bit then. So so what uh, what was your specific you know, treatment regimen. Was it was it chemotherapy? How long was chemotherapy? What what, what kind of what was that story about? Well, I had the ABVD tri- treatment, which is adriamycin, bleomycin, belban, and DTIC, uh, also known as the big guns. Um, and I had to get a metaport put in so I could get that, and I had it every two weeks for six months. Um. Mm-hmm. And for, really, uh, for, for people who don't know what that what a metaport is, I mean, basically you, you, you have like an IV line, but they put it in um, what the left side of your chest or something like that. I mean, they, they they put it inside you is what the what the point is. So it's not yeah. a it's it's yeah, not it's, it's not a it's, it's not a small deal. It's a big deal. 
So I'm sorry to yeah. edit that. No, 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 no. It's your show, actually. I'm just a kid. Yeah. Well, in case people don't know, it's not a. It's it's not like where they stick something in your vein and it's it's like you come in every two weeks. I mean, it's it's a big deal. They they put something, you know, in in your chest there, and then they they put an IV in there every couple of weeks. And um, and what, what kind of side effects did you have? Uh, with, did you have with that? Well, with the Metaport, it just, well, after I had it done, it just hurt for a while. I couldn't lift my arm for, like, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, but as far as with the chemo, because the first chemo treatment they gave me was through the veins, through IV, and they couldn't even finish it because it was too painful. That's why they put a Metaport, because the chemotherapy is so caustic to the veins. You know, right. you need a central line, because the central line, for my friends in here who aren't in the medical field, I know you have a lot of medical field listeners, but I have some friends. Thank you guys for showing up. I love you all very much who aren't in the medical field. It, it's uh, a central line in a bigger vein so you don't feel that painful stuff. And uh, so I had it in there for two years, actually, because I know once you get it, like if I, because the doctor said, well, if it comes back, you know, you can't put the Metacort in the same place. I'd have to put it on the other side. And so they wanted to save me as many spaces as they could, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, but, uh, but, yeah, like, yeah, that's basically reality hit me with the bone marrow biopsy. And after that, it was just all about getting through it. But you know what the weird part of it was, Dr. Anonymous, is that as hard as it was, after a while, you almost become used to it, even though it sucks you kind of become used to it. And, you know, when it was all over, I was like, okay, what do I do now? You know, you almost become used to it. it it's such a, it's your whole life. Your whole life is hospitals, doctor's offices, you know, getting stuck with needles, get, having nausea. It, it was just like, you know, and, and it was weird because my doctor, you know, I said, how long is it going to, when, when all this is finally over, I said, how long is it going to take for me to feel back to normal again? He said, about a year. And you know what? He was right. It was about a year before I kind of felt more like a regular person. Did, so, you, uh, did you lose your hair during this chemo? Yes, I lost all my hair. Thank God my eyebrows, my eyebrows were the only thing that I kept. <laughs> Thank God I didn't oh. lose my eyebrows. Because I know some people lose their eyebrows. But those stay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was bald as a cue ball, and I had a wig, but it itched, even with the little you know cap underneath. So I kind of just wore. I was like a rebel. I was 22. Doc Martens were in style. I was a rebel. I was pissed off at you know. I was. I wasn't. I wasn't totally pissed off. You know, I wasn't. At, Okay, I was just kind of a rebel. I wore like do rags and stuff, but and then once my hair started growing in and it, you know, was real short, then I put the wig on because it didn't itch anymore. But I, I wasn't. Let me let me clarify. I wasn't mad at God or anything. In fact, my I became a lot more spiritual when that happened, and I felt in a weird way, closer to God. I know that might sound weird to people because you think, oh, you get cancer, you probably think, why did God let this happen to me? And there was times where I said that. I'm not going to deny that. But I always felt like he was there with me and that this was just part of 
there's a there's a reason I'm still here. There's a reason that I'm still here living. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. So, and I even, you know, I I had to unfortunately drop out of nursing school for like a semester in the summer uh, because of all the treatment and everything. I I was pretty much bedridden most of the part, but yeah, you know. Since I was in nursing school, I would talk to my doctor about it, and I'd say, you know what, maybe I'll work with cancer patients, you know, and help to help them. And he, and he kind of talked me out of it. He said, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest that. He said, um, you know, what if you, you come across somebody who has your same cancer and they don't make it? You know, it's going to be really hard for you. And, and one thing he was right about is I did feel some survivor's guilt because a lot of people I met during treatment, not all of them made it, and I kind of felt like, well, why did I make it? I mean, I'm not saying I wasn't grateful, but there is a, a level of guilt that comes with being a survivor sometimes, and it's it's kind oh, of sure. weird. But sure, you know, sure. So how long how long was it from when you were kind of first diagnosed until they said you were clean, you were in remission, no more cancer? How long was that kind of whole process then? I'm sorry, what was how, how how long of a time gap was it from when you were first diagnosed to when they said, you know, the cancer is gone, you're in remission, you know, nothing to worry about? How many years was it? Um, well, it wasn't years. It was May 4th, uh, I'm sorry, May 5th, 1994. My, I like to think of that as my actual birthday because that would only make me like 13 or 14 now. And I don't like being 37. So I'd rather be 14. <laughs> There's the clapping. <laughs> you, know, you know I have to clap when I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But if you're 14, I completely can't flirt with you, so we can't do that. Okay, now I'm 37. Uh, my, my sister wrote in the chat room. I had to open the chat room. Uh, my sister did offer me my hair. Uh, offer me her hair. That is true. And I still didn't want it. <laughs> Why was did, now, don't, didn't you like her hair? What was wrong with her hair? Was it a pride thing well, or time, what was the deal? Well, at the time, I thought it wasn't very healthy looking. She kind of, you know, it was kind of dried out and stuff. <laughs> she had too dry a hair know. for you. <laughs> my sister's hair, my sister's hair actually kicks ass right now, but. You know, but you know what I hate about my hair now, Dr. Anonymous? I used to have thick, beautiful hair. Now it's so thin and baby fine. I know it may sometimes look thick on camera, but I swear I must have only 10 strands of hair on my head. It is so dang thin, and I hate it. Chemo hair sucks. <laughs> All right, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right. Well, um, so I, I, I mean, I know you want to talk about after, after that, you know, as far as, you know, how it's changed your life and, and what you've learned from that whole experience, because you know, it really has, you know, shaped your life. And I know you said you've had some kind of survivor guilt and things. And, you know, what, what, how was how that whole experience? I mean, it's always going to be a part of you, but, but how has that whole experience, you know, affected your life, changed your life? Well, you know, after that, well, before I had the cancer, I was very, very much 
of a, I don't know, I, a scared type of person. I was very shy. I was very afraid of people. Not afraid to the point where I wouldn't talk to anyone. I was still what you know now, but I wasn't nearly as outgoing. I was very insecure. Um, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And then after that, I was like, hey, I can do anything, you know. If I can do this, I can do anything. Because let me tell you, I was the kind of person, you know, and I still kind of am. I don't like to vomit, okay. I, I'm so afraid. If I'm nauseated and I think I'm going to throw up, I'm praying to God, please, please don't let me throw up, you know. I hate to throw up. So when the doctor was telling me, okay, you're going to have to go through chemo, because I was stage three, yeah, they had to go through the staging thing. And, you know, unfortunately, we got cut off, you know, for a lot of this. I didn't get to finish the whole story, but they diagnosed me stage three, which obviously means chemo. He says, you know, there's the ABVD that, that he put me through, and then there's the MOP, and I don't know what the MOPP stands for. I don't remember. He goes, I want to put you through the, the ABVD because you're going to have less chances of becoming or not being able to have children if I put you through this chemo. But it's going to be more harsh on you as far as side effects. And I was 22 right. at the time in nursing school, not even thinking about getting married. And I'm like, okay, I'll adopt. I don't want to throw up. <laughs> you know? But, hey, I guess as far as I know, I could still have children. I don't, you know, I don't think it affected that so I've never had any children but everything seems to be working normal in that area I won't get into much detail but um, you know he was worried about me not being able to have children so he just wanted to give me the harsher with the harsher side effects but I was still afraid of that but I, like I said I got through it um, and if I can get through it anybody can because I was a big wimp you know as far as when it comes to medical stuff and it took me a while after it was hard when I went back to nursing school and went to clinicals because I did clinicals in the hospital that I had a lot of my stuff in, my my chemo, my surgeries and all that. And just going in and the smell, I would almost be like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to do this? But somehow, hmm. I, you know, I, I was in the bet. You know, I had a great nursing class when I left. The class I was in, the, the people were so supportive and so wonderful but I had to drop out. So when I went back in, I was with a different class. And let me tell you, they were just as awesome. They were wonderful. They were like a family to me. And I got, got through it. And, and they were all there for me. They were all helpful. And it was just really, I couldn't have had a better, you know, oncologist. Let me tell you what. Ooh, I got Florence Nightingale syndrome big time with this doctor. Have you heard of that, Dr. Ray? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I fell in love with Dr. Militello. I crushed on him for like two years after my cancer. It hurt. It hurt, okay? It was so he was a married man with kids, and I was just totally in love with him. He was my hero. It was like, here was God, and then there was Dr. Militello, you know? But then I find, eventually I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I really liked him. I mean, it was like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, now does is anybody in your family have Hodgkins? Sometimes that runs in families and that type of thing. You know, the weird thing is that uh, I was the first one to get cancer. 
You know, well, actually, I take that back. My mom said she had a cousin on her side of the family that 30 years ago had Hodgkin's disease. Uh, or not, yeah, it was a while back he had Hodgkin's disease. But really, there was no, there was no history of cancer in my family. I was like the first one. And I was the one who was the most, you know, you know, what, what, like I said, I was into exercise and eating right and doing everything I was supposed to do, you know. Uh, and so I kind of learned, too, from there, it's kind of like, you know, we all have a fate, and in a way, it's kind of like, eat, drink, and be merry, people. Have fun and enjoy your life, because you know what? What's going to happen is going to happen, and you just deal with it, and you roll with the punches, and you go on. Hmm. <laughs> there you I'm go. You know, I'm, I'm clapping for you. <laughs> I'm clapping for you. <laughs> Where's um, she saying, Mama, she's just saying my lies. My lies about what? I just want to know what she's talking about. I forgot what I said. <laughs> she, she, she should call in and say what's up, you know, what's going on. <laughs> yeah, now call in. What did Mom lie about? I want to know what Mom lied about. So, uh, <laughs> So you've been uh, you, you've been cancer free how long? Um, let me see. In May of let me see, wait, ninety four to two thousand four to two thousand eight. It'll be fourteen years coming in May. Wow. Yeah. And how you feel these days? Yeah. Well, you know, nowadays it it's, I guess it feels almost like I never had it. You know, uh, it, like I said, it took about a year for the full effects, like for all the side effects of the chemo to kind of go away. But then it was a few years after that, like I would get like four big-time bad colds a year, like pneumonia type, where I'd be really, really super sick. Like I had a really bad immune system for about four to five years after. And then after that, it's, uh, I think now I think I'm pretty much back to normal. I just need to get into working out again. If I can get into working out again, I want to get back to the way I was pre-cancer days, you know. That's my goal. I just got to get off the couch. <laughs> and you know what, Dr. A, I want to tell you thank you so much for asking me to be on your show. I, like I said before, and I'll say it again, I want everyone in the chat room to know this. It's an honor to be on your show. I think it's a quality show. You're a class A kind of a guy. I wish you, you know, I wish you were one of our Neos. I mean, we have some great Neos, but there's a couple I could do without. Uh, but we could use more doctors down here. You ought to think about, you know, the Valley. It's a great place. You're a nice guy, great. and I really appreciate being on your show. to the Mike Sabella radio program. Check out uh, drmikesabella.com. And this is the very last uh, part of the show. And I want to thank, uh, <laughs> I want to thank all three people who are listening live right now. <laughs> I'm seeing the numbers. That's okay. It's Halloween. 
I mean, I could just say whatever I want right now because that was really a stink. So. <laughs> uh, but it's been uh, it's been fun getting back doing these podcasts again. And Sunday and today, and uh, I'm starting to get back into uh, the groove here. And uh, just life is just so uh, so busy and crazy uh, the past few weeks. So I find time to write uh, and uh, talk about uh, things that are going on in in medicine and health policy and maybe a little politics. I'm feeling brave and brave to maybe talk a little bit about politics. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but I just want to say thanks again to, to, to everybody who uh, you know, keeps on uh, visiting my site and listening to the shows and watching the YouTube videos and following me on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. I'm having a good time. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, – Going to Texas next week. Uh, I'll be in Austin for a couple of days uh, at the uh, meeting there. And, uh, you know, networking, uh, meeting new people, and um, catching up with old friends. Uh, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. So, um, uh, so thanks again for, you know, just for, uh, just for, reading and following and listening and watching and all that stuff out there. You guys are all the best. And uh, um, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll do a show from Texas sometime. I'm sure I'd see what my, what my end show is. And just, you know, just want to just stick with hanging out with real people as opposed to <laughs> all you people that are in it. Just, you know, not a bad thing. People have told me, Mike, you have to go out and see real people every once in a while. So, uh, so that ends my show, and uh, that was a great interview with Kat. Um, and uh, that was fun putting together uh, to share with all of you again. I can't believe it's been five years since uh, since since all that happened. So, uh, so it's fun. And as we do as a new future shows here, you know, I'll be looking through the archives there and uh, and. Uh, uh, sharing some more stuff there with you. So, but you can check out all my stuff at uh, drmexavilla dot com that gets you the uh, the uh, the Twitter link and Facebook link and LinkedIn and all that stuff there. So, happy Halloween, everybody, and uh, hope you got all the sweets that you're looking for. Because <laughs> if if you like your candy, you can keep your candy. Period. <laughs> we'll see everybody next time on the Mike Savilla radio program. There's no song here closing up. I'm just going to say good night from northeastern Ohio, and uh, we'll see you all very soon.